Welcome into the Email Online Podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey here with you from Email Online and Rivals as we cover the cats on a daily basis for you. And the last couple of days have not been the most enjoyable for K-State basketball. They've dropped two straight games to the two teams that are in last place in the Big 12. It, the sting went away a little bit when Texas Tech was able to beat Texas on Monday night. Uh, but then K-State wasn't able to use any of that momentum and kind of bounce back uh, and, and get in there and beat Oklahoma last night in a game that I actually thought the first half K-State did a lot of things that were better. I, I thought offensively they looked cleaner. It, it helps that Bebe Isiola and Naquan Tomlin look like real threats for K-State. So I, I enjoyed what I saw in the first half last night, even though it was tied at halftime. I viewed it as one of those things where K-State was going to be able to get out there and defend the three-point line better because that was the sole reason why Oklahoma was still in the game at halftime was because they were knocking down threes at a high level, and most of it was because K-State wasn't defending at a very high level from the three-point line. I was dead wrong because K-State's three-point defense did not get any better last night, and Oklahoma was able to go on a run that K-State had no answer for. The Sooners in the second half also learned how to play defense in a more efficient manner where they were still able to shut down Marquise Noel, but they had also closed up any of the gaps that were allowing Isiola or Tomlin to sneak through. And K-State struggled in the first half to score. Oklahoma went on a couple of scoring droughts in the second half, but K-State wasn't able to get enough points to really answer and make a difference. I think maybe the closest it got in the second half, uh, once it got to double digits, was like six or seven uh, but it immediately went back up to, I think, 13. And from that point, you just realized that K-State was going to drop another one, that a, a team that has played the way that they have through so many games this season should not be losing. And uh, they ultimately fall last night 79-65 to to Oklahoma. That is now five of their last six in Big 12 play that they have lost. They go from 6-1 and one in the league to now 7-6. and six, And uh, they are in a tricky spot. Uh, with Iowa State and Baylor coming up and then a road trip to Oklahoma State next weekend. So the next three games don't appear to be easy ones to get back. No, I think K-State's obviously in a really tough spot right now. Like you said, I think you pointed out really well that um, the Cats have obviously struggled of late, losing two on the, two in a row um, to the two bottom-tier teams in the Big 12, and obviously five in a row now on the road in the Big 12. So that two-game winning streak that you had to start Big 12 play on the road at Texas at Baylor seems like it was seasons ago, not just just over a month and a half ago at this mm -hmm. point. Um, so K-State's obviously got a lot of things to figure out. And I think the biggest concern for K-State at this point, Mason, is that you know you felt like your issues were turn turnovers and the losses at Kansas and the loss to Texas and particularly the loss at Texas Tech, right? Like you felt like your turnovers were a big, big part of that um, especially when you kind of look at the turnover percentage that K-State had in some of those games 29% against Texas Tech 27% um, turnover rate against uh, Texas in the home loss against Longhorns but last night against Oklahoma that wasn't the issue at all actually yeah. um, turnover rate falls to just 20.8% against Oklahoma last night which is obviously a much better mark for this K-State team um, they only turn the ball over 14 times. I know that's definitely not a number that you love, but I think if you're under 15, um, you're going to take that. Most coaches would. I think the ultimate goal would be, hey, let's try and be around 10 or 12. Uh, but K-State being around 14 um, is maybe a little bit higher than what they would like, but you'll take it. It's an improvement. But the biggest concern is obviously that you didn't play very hard. They didn't look like they wanted to be there, yep. particularly in the second half. Um, felt like a lot of 50-50 balls went to Oklahoma's way. Obviously, you can kind of see some of that in the rebounding numbers. Oklahoma has 32 total rebounds on the game. Um, K-State does win the offensive rebounding battle 11-7. to um, But, you know, this is an Oklahoma team that doesn't have a lot of size. So you should win that, especially when you've got baby Giola playing in there, who's a little bit bigger um, than David Gasson. So, you know, they didn't play very and hard. And it's not just about winning it. It's about winning each individual attempt and there were too many times where it was inexcusable that Oklahoma got an extra opportunity yeah. because they were just tapping the ball early. Off. I mean, they had five yeah. offensive rebounds in the first half and one of them led directly to, I believe it was a Grant Shorefield three yeah. right before the, right, right before the break. And yeah. He, he hits a three at uh, like three, four seconds left in the half to tie it. And, and, and OU has the momentum going in there. And I like the way I, I looked at it. And I said this to you last night was it, it was amazing that K-State, they didn't have anybody in the paint to grab a defensive rebound. But then they seem yeah, to not have anybody count. around the perimeter 
to get the tap out. Like I, I just the positioning. And again, I think that goes down to effort and, and level of care in a game like that, where um, you, you it's on you to be busting your tail to be in, in a good spot. And it just seemed like K-State wasn't last night. And sometimes that will happen. Like sometimes you'll just get unlucky. It, but the it, fact that Oklahoma was able to do it like so no many chance. times. It's not yeah. one of those nights that K-State lost last night where it felt like they didn't have a chance. Yeah. Um, and just to compare it to another Big 12 game, you know, like Damian Harmon goes for – Damian, sorry. <laughs> Damian Harmon goes for 21 points in the first half in te- for Texas Tech yeah. against Texas on Monday night in Lubbock. Yeah. And it was just one of those nights where Texas Tech probably wasn't going to lose. Did Texas play their guess- best game? Absolutely not. No, not a chance. Uh, but it becomes a lot harder to win when – you have an opponent go for 25 points and they bank in three or four shots yeah. over the course of the game. And a couple of them are three pointers. So last night wasn't like that for K-State against Oklahoma. Oklahoma had a stretch in the second half, Mason, where they didn't score for over four minutes. Yeah. Um, and K-State was still down 11 at that point because within that four minute time frame, K-State didn't score for two minutes. Yeah. So it became a situation where, you know, I didn't feel like K-State played very hard. Jerome Tang talked about it afterwards about, that being an effort thing. And, you know, you kind of ask him, like, what do you think led to that? And he doesn't know at this point. And and I think it's tough to know right after a game, what kind of led to that. And I found it interesting that, you know, I think his tone after losses this year has been very different at different times. Um, If you think back to the loss at Kansas, he didn't come in there angry or, you know, upset about the loss. In fact, I even asked him, I was like, coach, why do you come into, these post-game press conferences in a positive mood. And his response was, you know, I, what good does it do for me to be negative? And what good does it do for me to be angry? Like that doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, But then I think back to um, the loss against Texas tech and he was very upset after that loss or particularly the loss after Texas. He was very upset after that loss. And last night against Oklahoma, he was kind of back to being in a better Jerome Tang-esque mood that we could traditionally see. And we had to wait an hour after the game to talk to him. So maybe he had a little bit of a cooling down period. But um, to have to be coaching effort is something that has to drive him and his coaching staff absolutely nuts, especially after getting embarrassed against Texas Tech. And now you've been embarrassed on two consecutive games on the road in the Big 12. Well, and I think we got that last night. Uh, his approach was he, it took him a long time to get to his media obligations after the game. And he basically said afterwards, it wasn't necessarily because he was talking to him forever. It was mainly because he just wanted him to sit there and, and, and deal with it and, and soak it in with what had just happened. Um, and, and I think his approach last night, the way he took that was we we've seen him go from this guy that he got it. And I think he, he thought, Hey, look, I, we've got dudes on this team. We're, we played hard. We did what we could like, some of these, some of these games just end up happening. It, it just, it, it is what it is. We'll, we'll get it right. We'll do something different. But now it's been back-to-back games that this has happened for K State and a second half against Texas that was really, really bad for them. And I think that he has gotten to a point where he, you know, has come through and and said, okay, you know what? Like we we've have an issue here, and he addressed it by you know throwing it out there that like. When Jerome Tang, and when any coach says this, but when it's a guy like Jerome Tang that we have a good idea of what his mentality is and the way that he acts, for him to go out there and say, yeah, we, we didn't have effort, we didn't care tonight, like that's, that's saying a lot for Jerome Tang to go and do that. And that tells you where this thing is. And he also threw out there, like we've got guys that have been playing college basketball for a long time now. That's another part of the reason why it's so inexcusable that they went out there like that. Uh, and I would agree. Like y- y- the guys that you're leaning on to help you um, are-, are dudes that have played college basketball for a long time. Marquise Noel is playing his fifth year of college basketball now. Uh, a guy like Desi Sills is playing uh, in his senior year. Keontae Johnson, I know he missed time on the floor, but he's been around college basketball long enough to know how this needs to work. Uh, a lot of these dudes have serious experience, not just you know at, at a Division One level. Who cares? but just in playing basketball. Like Naquan Tomlin is the only one that uh, to me, you can give a little bit of a pass to of the, the key contributors right now to say he may have a tougher time getting it. But honestly, mid February, you've been a part of this team long enough. You've been playing big 12 basketball long enough. Everybody on this team should have an idea 
uh, of what it's like and what it takes to go out there to win games. And uh, Jerome Tang obviously showed it wasn't frustration last night from Jerome Tang at this point. I think it was just straight up disappointment. It was, you know, I used the analogy last night in the fast break about his approach after the game seemed like sending your, your child a timeout in their bedroom and they're supposed to go think about what they've done as opposed to immediately like ripping into them and then having the conversation about guys, this is how we're going to get better and everything. It was all right, go up there and sit and think about it for a while. And they did. And I think that uh, another approach that he uh, might be taking right now. uh, And it seemed like it last night is the, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed because uh, anybody. Yeah, exactly. Anybody that has a relationship with their parents out there that they respect uh, love and enjoy. If you get the the comment, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed, that kills you as as the child. That kills you. You practicing and, that one? No, nah, I'm not practicing that one yet. I've got it loaded up and ready to go though. <laughs> like I know that from uh I had I had one little moment where uh I was uh I was kind of a pain in the butt and I was an idiot in my sophomore year of high school. And my dad had that conversation with me and, and that to, to this day is still like the most brutal uh, conversation I've had. And I felt like I let him down. And and that's what I think he's trying to get across now because he's right. Frustration isn't going to do a lot with this team. We know that this team probably isn't going to handle like serious screaming and name calling and all that very well. This team needs to have the, Hey, we're all in this together type of attitude, but you still have to get a, your message across when things are going wrong and when things are inexcusable. And I think that's the approach he's going with. And we'll see if they, they're able to come out and play any better against Iowa State. It's just it, frustrating to see that last night. There was a pretty good smattering of K-State fans behind the bench. Jerome Tang noted after the game uh, that he appreciated them coming out. Um, but that's one of those where, like, that's, that's a killer. If you, you give up your Valentine's Day night and you're, you're off to watch K-State play in Norman, Oklahoma, and that's the performance you get, you probably walk out of there feeling pretty upset. Um, not as not as upset as I was in 2017 when K-State got beat by 30. Uh, and Isaiah Maurice was the leading scorer in Norman, but still pretty upset nonetheless. Now, the biggest thing last night that stood out to me that was an issue from a we saw it happening, figure it out standpoint, was the three-point defense. And you hit on it in five film faults. Uh, it says a lot. I think all five today were uh, – were three-point plays for Oklahoma. And as a guy that loves the three-pointer and respects the heck out of the three-pointer, because I love that kind of basketball, I know what it looks like when it's susceptible and when it's there for you. And I've thought all season, despite the fact that K-State's defense statistically has looked good defending the three, that teams have gotten pretty good looks. And K-State had been fortunate in times to not really get beaten by it. I mean, you think about, uh, for example, when they played Kansas at home, Grady Dick... Was Dick one of eight from three in that game? One of nine. Yeah, so he missed eight threes. Uh, Kevin McCuller threw up brick after brick in that game. Like, you didn't have to mess with much of it there. Um, And then, like, I just think we've seen – they've had some issues. I've been weary of this all year. It finally bit them last night because they were overhelping a lot. Um, And you can see here, here's five film faults. This is a play uh, right here where, again, like, you have Noel down there with Tomlin and – just wide open on the outside because somebody had to follow Jacob Groves down. Like the, you can, you can well, take us no, through this a little see, bit better, but like this, so, there, there are some issues here. So on this play, and if you're listening to the podcast and you can't see this, I'm sorry. Uh, this is a three that Jalen Hill hits early in the game to make it a 13, 12 K state game. Uh, Oklahoma does a good job of getting a post-entry pass to the high post shortly about the second hash on the lane. And, uh, I believe it's Baby Ejiola is in coverage or Naquan Tomlin's in coverage. It looks like it's Naquan. Yeah, it's and um, coming on help side from the baseline is Noel, mm-hmm. but Cam Carter is also on the opposite, the weak side of the court, and he appears to almost lose his man um, on the perimeter. He does. As Noel yeah. also goes and plays help defense as he, I think, is looking to hopefully get a steal. And Carter is then essentially being asked to defend two players, one of them who cuts to the basket, that's Groves. And Carter's not going to defend that well because he just mm-hmm. can't. There's just, And he does a good job of it, actually, if you really watch it. He does a good job of kind of walling him up and putting a butt on him. 
but it leaves a shooter wide open and it's Hill on the perimeter who's wide open. I think this is on Noel, but it's tough for me to really know exactly who it's on based off their scouting report. There was a couple of these that yeah. last night were just kind of tough um, to look at because Oklahoma's not a very good three-point shooting team. But this three-pointer, I thought, was a good representation of, I think, Marquise Noel being a little bit too aggressive defensively. And there was a couple others in this as well where I don't know exactly what the scouting report is, so I don't want to assume too much. But I thought Marquise coming over um, and really trying to maybe force a steal from behind or force a turnover from yeah. behind really left his one of his teammates out to dry on the weak side of the defense. All by it himself. happened a lot last night. The, it yeah, seemed there's to a be, couple other of them in this in the five yeah. faults. It, it's it's one of those deals where you're right. We we don't know what the scout was. So either it's and right here this, this is, is one of those one. where. Noel comes in and tries to stop the the ball handler. That one I don't have as much of an issue with, um, but it, it still ends up not working out in K-State's favor because they do a pretty good job. But that's honestly the play we're looking at now. Noel comes in, and about the elbow, Sherfield takes the basketball, and it's Bebe that's on him. And Bebe forces him back to the left. Noel comes in, but Noel, instead of just staying there and staying in front of him, he jumps, and that gives Sherfield a window to where he can kick it out, and, and Oklahoma's wide open for a corner three. And I, But the, what we were talking about, Noel seemed to come and play help D a lot in the post and come from behind that guy that was down there. And so either that's on Marquise Noel for being too aggressive and the coaches have to get that knocked out of him, or that's on the coaching staff that has made that a point of emphasis, and they want Noel doing that, and they got burnt by it quite a bit. Uh, on Tuesday night. So either way, that has to be corrected. That's just one of those things that, depending on who it is that's at fault, needs to to own up to it and uh, get everything corrected there. But uh, please, if you haven't w watched it yet, go through, read five film faults uh, today because Alec able to go through and break down uh, a lot of the defensive breakdowns for three that, man, o Oklahoma just had a lot of open looks from deep and this they one, were able to this, knock them down last night. This third one, I think, is the worst one of the game so nobody's uh, on groves well it's not that no one's on groves it's that this is a play in transition where oklahoma's on the break in case state fails to stop the ball and fails to stop the drive and because they fail to stop the dribble drive it allows it forces the entire k-state defense to essentially collapse into the paint hill kicks it out to Sherfield on the mm -hmm. perimeter who himself passes up an open three-pointer that's wide open to make the yeah. extra pass an unselfish play to Groves, who then drills a top of the key step in three pointer um, that actually gives um, Oklahoma a one point deficit at 33 yeah. 32 with about 215 left in the well, first and half. that and that was the worst one. And it's not because Groves is wide open, it's because K State made the very first mistake that you learn in basketball at a young age stop the ball. They don't stop the yeah. ball on this, and, it, and it, it breaks down everything else on this play. Yeah, well, and, and that it looks like defensively. It's either – I mean, I, I don't know who to pick out. There's like a Bermuda Triangle of guys that I think I could fault here with Keontae Johnson, Marquise Duell, and Bebe Isiola. It look, one of those guys needs to be at least in the vicinity of Groves, who is trailing. Uh, but honestly, it gets ruined. Like you said, they don't stop the ball. So it, it looks to me like maybe Keontae is the guy that's supposed to be coming up on Groves, but he can't get there because he has to be the last line of defense to stop the ball in the paint. Uh, because if he didn't, then it would have been – uh, an easy lay-in for Oklahoma. But a, a lot of those last night, a lot of frustrating things to uh, go through and take a look at. So go through and look at the rest of five film faults and uh, good stuff from Alec there, kind of showing everything that uh, went wrong for K-State, even though, even though it may not be the most enjoyable thing to take a peek at, uh, it will be beneficial to you and, and kind of give you a look uh, at what's what's gone wrong there. And we'll see how it ends up playing out this weekend uh, when Iowa State comes to town. So we've hit on... Three-point defense was bad. The effort and energy just was very low for K-State last night. Um, again, I, I thought that there was some slight positives. Uh, I thought, you know, um, even though Oklahoma doesn't force turnovers at a high level, K-State was better in that regard, at least. Uh, they were under 15 last night. The only issue is Oklahoma's the last-place team in the Big 12, and K-State only forced 11 turnovers by Oklahoma. And that, even more so than just the – the three-point offense, which was 48% last night for Oklahoma, kind of goes to show just how easily the Sooners were able to move the ball last night 
because they weren't in a position to have to make a ton of dangerous passes or forced to do anything kind of dumb with the basketball, and uh, it opened things up. But for K-State, Noel, he's under five turnovers. He's at four. He had six assists. He has 14 points. Um, the issue lies uh, – you have the number. He's like nine of his last 42 from three. And last like, night yeah. he, was, he was two of nine uh, from deep. K-State only 20% from three in the game. Um, and, and just not enough from anywhere else. I mean, Cam Carter and Desi Sills combined for four points. Uh, just to, to plug another thing over on email online, Gabe Swartz, uh, wrote for us after the game about the fact that Marquise Noel, people have been critical of the way he has played as of late. There obviously is a turnover problem. He's not playing the same and shooting the same, uh, lately, but he is not the, the, the only guy that should be receiving some fault here. He's got a lot on his plate. Teams are defending him much better. We, we learned that last night uh, with how Porter Mosier thought Oklahoma was able to take care of him, and they did a good enough job there. Um, but Gabe wrote about how K-State's not getting anything else from any of their other guards on the team right now. So there's a lot going on with this team that, again, I, I don't think they're a bad basketball team. We're, we know they're not. They have, they have had plenty more performances to tell us they are a good basketball team than a bad one. But they are playing bad basketball right now, and there are a lot of factors and levels to it. Um, and that's why I think these next three days leading up to Saturday, when they take on Iowa State, like they got a lot to get into and figure out with this team. And I think Jerome Tang is going to have to try and find a way to motivate them and get, it, get them fired back up again. He seems to think that they were maybe settling uh, and they were content with what they had done so far. He told them after the game they need two more to make the NCAA tournament. It's just a lot there that, uh, that needs to be discussed with K-State as a team. Well, and you talked about how Marquise Noel maybe doesn't have a lot of help right now um, with other guards on the team. And I don't want to sound like I'm coming at Kim Carter's life, but Kim Carter hasn't scored in the last two games. To have a starter go back-to-back yeah. games without scoring, and I know Kim Carter's not someone who is a fill-it-up, electrifying scorer, but to have someone who has gone over in the yeah. last two games is really, really tough to have that in your starting lineup. And I understand that there might be some discourse out there of, well, what if we move Cam Carter out of the starting lineup? Um, speaking from a K-State perspective or a K-State fans perspective, what if, what if they move Cam Carter out of the starting lineup? I, I don't think you can do that, Mason. I think if you move him out of the starting lineup, you put him on your bench, you have literally nothing coming off your bench because that means you're going to yeah. bring Desi Sills into the starting lineup. And how much is Desi really giving this team offensively? We know he's not a huge threat as a shooter, um, and if you all, you, I know Marquise ends up playing, you know, upwards of 36, 37 minutes a game most nights, uh, but they need Cam Carter to give them more. Cam Carter needs to be better on the offensive end. And quite frankly, I think he needs to be better on the defensive end. You yeah. spoke about the struggles that he had defensively against Texas Tech. And I think you'll see a little bit in the five film Falks, another shameless plug, mm-hmm. uh, that I think he struggled a little bit on that end last night as well against Oklahoma. So K-State needs more from him. I think they also need more from Desi Sills. For Desi Sills to go one of five from the field at Oklahoma is frustrating. Um, He obviously goes 0 of 2 from 3. Carter misses his only three-point attempt so badly it doesn't hit anything but Tyke Green's hands as he's standing Mm -hmm. under the rim. Um, And Cam Carter also, like, when he drives to the rim going for a layup, he never goes off of two feet. And he's kind of just flailing throughout the air, looks uncontrolled, throws a ball up with one hand, and it's it's not going up strong. It's not going up seeking out contact or to get to the free throw line. And for someone who is a good free throw shooter, Casey could use him to at least get to the line once a game. They yeah. could use a bucket or two from him once a game. Like they need more from their guards. And right now, and like Gabe and I were talking about this last night. I mean, like, but I don't want this to be taken the wrong way by K State fans. And I actually think it's a huge compliment in my eyes, but I can see how others could take it the wrong way. I think K State in a perfect world becomes Baylor light or Baylor junior um, under Jerome tank. And that is a huge compliment. Baylor's turned into, in my eyes, one of the three best programs in college basketball over the last five years. And essentially I think what Jerome tank wants to do is make them Baylor. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. He worked for 19 years at Baylor under Scott drew, but right now he's trying to do what Baylor's doing without the guard play that Baylor has. Like, yeah. they don't have LJ Cryer. They don't have Adam Flagler and Keontae George. They have Marquis Noel, Cam Carter, and Desi Sills. They don't have yeah. Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and Adam Flagler 
playing in the backcourt for them. Like it, it's tough to run a lot of that weave set action when you don't have the super high talent level guards contributing right now that Baylor does. Like Adam Flagler is probably going to be a first team all big 12 selection. Keontae George is going to be drafted in the lottery and LJ Cryer is one of the most experienced seasoned guards in the country. And when he's healthy, you know, he's one of the better point guards yeah. in the country as well. So like it, they need more from their guards. And I appreciated you kind of pointing it out in that manner. Well, it, it, yeah, you, they, you have to have it. And you're right. The way that Jerome Tang has seen basketball coached and the way he's coached it the last 20 years has been, it's been guard oriented. Um, I mean, a lot of people will obviously, and again, some of my, my favorite uh, guys that are just out there like big 12 basketball wise, but like Tweedy Carter and Lace Darius Dunn uh, were kind of the first two like big time Baylor guards that come to mind. And it evolved from that point to where it got to the stage where not only do they have, this is honestly one of the, the best things Baylor has going for it is, so they've got this great guard play. They love to shoot. They got good shooters that, that can handle the ball that also like, don't forget, they've got these great guards that can play offense, but also will lock down on defense like what Davion Mitchell would do. Except this year. Except this year. Yeah, this year the defense <laughs> is not all there for Baylor. Um, and that's probably why they're, they're I not. I think a lot of that has to do with the inexperience they have. In the yeah, too. but <laughs> they also were cool. able to, to combine that with big dudes inside that. Like who? Everyday John. Yes. Uh, but they, they've had big athletic dudes inside that will go up, get boards for them, and do a lot of other stuff. And then, like, that's a that's a pretty good relationship there uh, where you've got guards that can can shoot it and score and, and handle it well, and then bigs that, like, are just going to clean up the glass. And here's, here's something that's pretty easy to just go look at and, and tell you where things sit right now. Uh, the top three minutes getters for Baylor are all guards this year. All right, hang on. Let me let me go through this and uh, make sure that I have have all these numbers right for you. Okay, so the top three minutes getters for Baylor this year are all guards: Adam Flagler, L.J. Cryer, and Keontae George. All are about at thirty minutes a game. For K State, it's a little bit different for them. Um, Marquise Noel is number one in minutes. Keontae Johnson is number two in minutes, and then Desi Sills is right there. He is number three. So they've got two guards, but his 28.7 is only slightly higher than Naquan Tomlin's 28. And again, like Desi's coming off the bench and it, it's, it's a necessity thing. Like K-State can't go out there with just one guard, you know, like you have to have some balance on the floor. Um, Baylor showing that they can have three different guards out there as their top minutes getters. That's kind of what this offense, what you want it to be. And again, another thing that you can look at for Baylor and the way that this has played out, those three guards that are playing the most minutes for Baylor are shooting 42%, 43%, and 34% from three. Meanwhile, for K-State, the, the three guards that have played the most for him, Marquise Noel is under 35% from three now. Desi Sills is 25% from three. And Cam Carter is 33% right now. But, but that's on quite low value. Yeah, minimal attempts. He's got 75 attempted threes this year. And as you mentioned, like you can't have a game where a starting guard in back-to-back -back games is not going to score. So K-State... They're going to have to learn how to play through this this year. And this is not to say that Desi Sills and Cam Carter are bad basketball players. They're obviously not. There's a reason why Desi Sills was at Arkansas at one point. There's a reason why Cam Carter was at Mississippi State and at an SEC school, and now a reason why they're at K-State. And we have seen flashes from them this year where they can do good things. Cam Carter obviously has a ton of skill, can move well, but he's just not there offensively yet, and I'm not sure that he, he understands the, the game quite as well yet he's only a sophomore and then for Desi like he had 24 against Kansas but that was kind of an anomaly with the way shots fell for him in that game um, and, and he hasn't always been the same so he can really boom but most of the time he's a lot more closer to the, the guy we saw last night where he'll be in like the six to nine point range for K-State and that's just not enough the way it works out right now um, so th this is a part of growing pains this is one of those deals where I think K-State came out they had more success than probably this staff even imagined uh, this year. Well, I think and, Jerome Pings like admitted that. Yeah, and, and I think that you know they're establishing a system, and uh, they did the best that they could to get it set up, but they don't necessarily have the exact amount of guys that they need at this point. But on the horizon, like you talk about, K State being like Baylor, 
who are the two guys that are the highest rated recruits in the 2023 class? They are both guards, RJ Jones and, and Day Day Ames, that, that you have a lot of hope for uh, in coming to K State that are obviously, you know, both four star guys um, and go, going to give K State something. And that's going to continue, I think, to be where we see K State grow. And not to mention Michaela Rich, who is also uh, going to be in, in the running for when the final rankings come out for a four star ranking. Um, he's he is a forward but he's only six six and he can do a little bit of both for k-state so uh, that's just one of those deals where i think you make a great point in saying like k-state is going to try and be like baylor we have seen that at points this year they just don't necessarily have the horses quite yet that baylor did and that was my one concern for jerome tang coming into this not really anything else but the guy he he was around for when baylor was in a really dark place and was trying to come out of the the bowels of the Big 12 and and they weren't a very good basketball team. But for the last decade now, they've been pretty consistent and for the last 5 years they've been one of the best teams in this league and in the country and I wonder um how it affects him to have gone from just this consistent winning a certain level that you expect guys to be at, you expect guys to be able to do certain things and now to be back in a position where he's probably gone back in time 15 years uh, to, to those Baylor teams that were competitive, but they weren't at this level yet. And so I wonder how that affects him and how he's able to manage all that. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see how this team finishes things up now that they've hit this rough patch and we can kind of identify the issues that stand there. Well, and to take it another step forward too, I think he's at a point in his coaching career and his coaching timeline where he's a first year head coach. And I think one of the, greatest attributes that a coach can have is an understanding of what needs to be done to motivate a team or what buttons need to be pressed to kind of reset things and to get things moving in a direction that you want. And currently it's very clear that Kansas state needs buttons pressed in a certain fashion, in a certain way to get things going in a positive direction again, because it's clearly trending in a very poor direction, having lost five straight on the road, in the big 12, having lost to Texas tech and Oklahoma and having lost four of your last five games um, and five of your last seven overall. So it's important for Jerome Tang, I think, and this is something that first year head coaches learn. And I think this is one of the things where in college basketball, you don't see a lot of assistant coaches promoted to being head coaches at the power five, power six level. You see it generally coaches are hired from, lower ranking levels, the mid-major conferences. And that's just because they have experience. They understand those intricacies of the day-to-day interacting with a team um, as the head coach that you don't maybe get as an assistant coach. And I don't know what Jerome Tang's like day-to-day was at Baylor. I know he was a high-ranking assistant. I imagine that Scott Drew allows his assistant coaches to have a lot of freedom to speak and to coach and do different things from stories that we've heard about mm-hmm. them being on opposite sides of the court, coaching against each other in practice and scrimmages and whatnot. But it's a lot different when you're actually the one in that office and you have to figure out those buttons to press because it wasn't ever his job specifically at Baylor. It was Scott Drew's. So now it's yeah. a situation where he needs to learn those things. And like we've talked about in the past, speaking specifically to the loss against Texas, you know, he learned, I think a little bit that he probably mismanaged his timeouts in the Mm -hmm. second half of that game against the Longhorns at K-State loss. And now he's at a situation where I don't want to see this, say this team's at a breaking point or an inflection point. I don't like throwing things like that out there. It's just not who I am. Uh, But they're at a point where things are trending in a poor direction for this K-State team. And he needs to do something to kind of fix it and get it going back positive before their last five games in Big 12 play, which they're pretty tough. I mean, having to play host to Iowa State and Baylor, two teams that obviously are kind of trending in a little bit of different directions right now, but two teams that are quality opponents. And then you have to go on the road and play an Oklahoma State team, who I know just lost to Kansas. But when Musa Cisse is in the lineup for them, they've only lost two Big 12 games this season. Um, And then you get the benefit of playing a poor Oklahoma team at home, a game you should probably win. But then you have to go on the road and play a West Virginia team in the final day of the regular season, yeah. and that or second to last day of the regular season. I guess. And and that could be that could be a West Virginia team that, that needs, a win, to needs get a win, and and that's going to be similar to uh, like 
West Virginia, there are a lot of similarities to um, in terms of what needs to be done and, and what's left for them to, to achieve. They're pretty similar to me uh, in what they need, like the K, the 2017 K-State team that um, got beat by 30 in Norman with uh, two games left in the regular season at that point. And K-State went on the road, got a big win at a TCU team that was going to be a tournament team. And then they returned home and they beat Texas Tech uh, on the final day of the regular season. And that, again, that was a, a Texas Tech team that ended up, was 2018? Was, that was, was that the year that they went to the Final Four or was it 2019? Uh, either way, that, that, Tech team, that, t- that Tech team in 2018, they were a second weekend team still. And K-State was able to come home and win that game. And West Virginia, in much of the same fashion, they've got a resume in a very, very tough league that is going to suggest that they are going to be able to get in. But to feel comfortable, they are going to need to, to get some wins here. And they close out with a, a tough stretch. I mean, they've got Tech and Oklahoma State at home their next two games. They should win those. But then it's at Kansas and at Iowa State, which means if they're 2-2 two and two over their next four, that's going to put them at 17-13. and 13. They should be in with the way this league goes. But if they lose another one, they're going to be in desperation mode against K-State so they can get another big win for their resume. And uh, it, that's none of these games left for K-State are easy. Oklahoma should, in theory, be the easiest one. But it's kind of tough to say that when we just saw Oklahoma in a dead building where, yes, K-State had a travel, but Oklahoma had zero environment there last night. No, that, that was not sucked. an it was not an intimidating place for the case. Lloyd Noble Center, nice, nice arena. One of the worst environments I've ever seen in college basketball. Not even one of. That was the worst environment I've ever. <laughs> it was seen bad. Around. It was bad last night. There was uh, there not was, a lot of there was there. less students there than there were K State fans there. Yes, that is not an understatement. That is true. They are. Uh, there was hardly they beat any a top fifteen team, and there was so little home fans there that they didn't yeah. even try and rush the floor. No, they did not. They it was it was bad. It was a it was a bad showing. They had at least the one lady that was yelling at John Higgins the entire time. Call it, was, it both ways, Higgins. She yeah, we got to call it both ways, champ. Meanwhile, there are a couple things. Oklahoma was winning the battle of fouls. K State had ten. Oklahoma had six when she screamed, "Call it both ways!" And she did it after K State got fouled on the other end. And the previous possession for Oklahoma, they had also been fouled underneath and shot free throws. So. They quite literally had called it both ways. She did not see it that way. So she was she was riding the refs until the very end of the game. And, you know, who's to say that that didn't carry Oklahoma over the top and get him a big win against K-State? So I don't know. It's We'll see. We'll have plenty more uh, of K-State basketball talk on Friday when we get ready to preview the game with Iowa State. Um, we'll see what the Cyclones end up doing tonight. Um, they are playing TCU this evening. It would appear – uh, that Mike Miles still going to be out for the Horn Frogs, uh, so Iowa State now up to a six-point favorite at home at Hilton Coliseum against TCU. So uh, we'll have to see how that plays out between those two teams. Top twenty-five battle, eight o'clock ESPN. All right, uh, shifting our gears to football real quick. Uh, Monday news started to trickle out that it seems likely that Matthew Middleton will be announced at some point uh, here soon as the next wide receivers coach at K State. Uh, th- there's not a, really a ton right now to break down on him, but um, to give some people some insight into who he is and, and what the background is, he was hired in January as the wide receivers coach at South Florida uh, after Alex Golish took over, who was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee the last two seasons with Josh Heupel as the volunteers ascended back into the, the top five and, and title contending picture in college football. So he was selected by a guy that, is is viewed as an up-and-comer and has a uh, a good track record with what he's at. So there's some respect there uh, with everything that's worked out. Prior to ending up at South Florida, though, Middleton just spent the last uh, five seasons at Kent State where he was the wide, wide receivers coach there. A couple of notes on Kent State. Anybody that is a, a degenerate Mac fan, uh, Dante Cephas it was one of the, the more electric wide receivers in college football, so much so that when he entered the transfer portal this year, he ended up at Penn State. Um, and Middleton helped oversee two guys that were all first-team max selections this past season. And during his time with the Golden Flashes, he was able to set a single-season passing record 
and uh, was also on the staff that helped Kent State win their first ever bowl game. Uh, they also had an offense that ranked in the top five in, in, in Kent State history. So he knows kind of what he's doing there from a standpoint of what he's looking at. We'll see how he's able to help progress guys, but obviously there's good background there. Uh, he also has a background uh, in, in this area. He is a Kansas City, Kansas guy, and he played college football at Ottawa, which is a KCAC school in the state. And uh, he then started his coaching career there before ending up uh, at uh, South Dakota and where he was not only a wide receivers coach at South Dakota, but this is helpful in what he will need to be doing. He was also the recruiting coordinator for the Coyotes. So he has even uh, a more heavy recruiting background, which is significant as well. He had one season as a grad assistant in 2012 uh, at KU. So he's, he's from the area. He knows the area pretty well. And uh, it, it's not like, you know, what I would call like an A-plus hire, but also I, I think it's really tough to go out and get a position coach, especially like, some of these that are are just home run hires at this point in time, especially if you're a school like K State. So I think it's a really solid one. I, I think that this is uh there there's reason to be optimistic about what K State did, and certainly no reason to to be upset and think that uh, K State wasn't able to to achieve something greater here. Because I think Matthew Middleton seems like um, on paper, at least to me, coming across as a dude that uh, is a good fit and makes a lot of sense. And I'm excited to see what he does for K State. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of get someone who's familiar with the terrain. Uh, being a graduate assistant at Kansas in 2012, I know that was about a decade ago. Certainly a long time ago, but you get some familiarity, I think, with the Big 12, and you get some familiarity with that the state, the region, the type of players that are in this area. Obviously, graduate yeah. assistants aren't doing much recruiting, uh, but that's obviously something that's important. And then to be able to hire someone, like you said, from a USF staff that is being put together by a young up and coming coach that is kind of viewed at a, as, as a up and comer and highly, I guess you could say yeah. in the coaching industry, from what I understand, um, certainly a good opportunity for Middleton as well. This being his first opportunity as a power five assistant head coach, I think it's a good opportunity for him to kind of take a jump and a leap at this. Obviously USF isn't a program that's competing at the same level as K state, but this gives Kansas state maybe an opportunity to, Get someone at the power, get someone who's younger at a coaching staff position that has had a lot of turnover yeah. over the last couple of years, from my understanding, and secure it because he hasn't had an opportunity of the stature before. And now you're kind of offering him his first one. So I think you, there might be some idea yeah. here that, hey, I'm going to I'm going to stay here. Uh, yeah, a little bit longer. I mean, this is uh, this is going to be Chris Kleiman's fourth different wide receiver coach uh, in his five years. This will be season number five for him at K State, but in his five years at K State, I think I have that math right. Nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, he's he's gone through it. Obviously, it was Jason Ray at the start. Jason Ray goes out, becomes Courtney Messingham. Obviously, Courtney Messingham is out, and then Thad Ward was here for a season before going back to Illinois. So uh, I think it makes sense. So that that's just a, a quick synopsis. Obviously, K-State, uh, as of now, I don't think has made the news official um, unless something has changed within like the last 30 minutes. Um, but I, I don't think that, email about it. Yeah, okay. So we're, we're good there. Uh, but when that becomes official and we get more on that, we'll obviously be able to, to do a little bit more with it. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention during the basketball conversation that I, I left out um, – so we know as of now there are three guys that are signed in the class of 2023 for K-State because we were talking about guards and, and how the offense is going to work out. K-State has two open scholarships at the moment for next season. Um, there may be more guys into the transfer portal all the time. We don't know who those will be yet. Um, it, it wouldn't be fair necessarily to speculate at this point with a lot of time left in the season on who that will be. I'm sure if you're, you're smart enough, you can figure it out on your own who might be transfer targets for K-State. Um, Undoubtedly, I, I think this team is going to look for a really talented guard in the transfer portal this offseason, and maybe Either two. Shooting. Yeah, you, you need you need guys that can shoot, and, and we'll see. Because even if R.J. Jones and Data Ames have some promise there, Mikhail Rich as well, but again, we're talking guards specifically. Um, it, it, that's a lot to put on the plate of freshmen, especially ones like Baylor right now is in the business of getting the, the five-star top ten freshmen that are ready to go immediately even those guys that are four stars and still really highly recruited and thought of, 
they still take a little bit more time to develop and get worked into the system. So if K-State's able to go out there and find a guard or two that can shoot the basketball uh, and do some of the things that they want, I would imagine that's how we see those two open scholarships get used right now. And if you're ever curious uh, on uh, scholarship distribution and everything, go uh, over to EMA online. You can go to the link inside the Cat Cave, uh, our premium message boards, and check out the K-State Basketball Scholarship Tracker where you can see how the scholarships are being used for this season and uh, also the next four seasons as well to just kind of show you where everything is at. Uh, the Wildcats, as it stands right now, set to have three seniors next year, one junior, three sophomores, and four guys designated as freshmen, and then the two open scholarships. Uh, as we talk at this moment. So just something to note and uh, keep people updated on that. Yeah. Any other thoughts before we uh, get out of here on a Wednesday and bid everybody adieu until Friday? Don't have anything. All right. Perfect. Well, there you go. Uh, I made Alec drive all the way back to Wichita with me last night uh, at uh, three in the morning. Everybody give him a round of applause and a congratulations. He won $50 at no. 2 a.m. in the, the talk. No, 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 no. You know? Don't, don't try and change me. I went $69.68. No, you didn't because you put $20 in. And so you only, yeah. But it you sounds got, better. yeah, you retracted $69.98. You got that given to you, but you put $20 in. A little gas stop turned into uh, like 15 minutes of fun uh, at a casino where I knew why we were there. We were driving back from Norman, Oklahoma at, that early in the morning. I would like to know why other people were there at uh, 2 a.m. on a Tuesday night. But, hey, if, if that's how you want to live your life, a little Valentine's Day fun, go for it. Uh, I hope you all won money last night, and uh, I did not. I lost I lost my $20 bill after working it up a little bit. I got greedy. I wanted to walk out of there with over $100 again like we did after uh, the trip to Waco for football. Did not come through. So, uh, looks like uh, looks like the baby is not going to for like the first week have any formula or something. All right, maybe not a good thing to joke about that one yet, but <laughs> hey, at least you'll have nice little cute hats. Yes, Alec. Uh, Alec is is growing up. We oh, here's a good conversation to end on. Alec's growing up uh, now that he uh, oh, is aware and going to go and publicly uh, knows that that my wife and I are expecting our first child. Alec got us a little gift, and uh, so he got us something for the baby. Appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, that's something that you do as you get older, where I know you didn't want to do that, but you felt like you had to. Um, and it's just one of those deals. Like you're an adult. Now you feel like you have to get people gifts to get it for them. We're appreciative of it. Um, you, you certainly there don't is have a gift to receipt if you're just lying to me in the bag. Yeah. I saw the gift receipt. Okay, but cool. <laughs> I, it's all good. Um, but we had this conversation last night and I don't really know how it came up, but, it was about things that you do uh, that you just have to do when you get older, even if you don't really want to. And the number one thing that we, we broke it into was like eating the crust on pizza or your sandwiches. Like nobody really likes it, but you kind of look like a weirdo if you don't eat the crust. So once you get to a certain age, you have to eat the crust. So if anybody has any other suggestions on that, uh, leave it in the thread or you can tweet it at us or however you want to get a hold of us. Uh, we would love to hear more of, uh, of what people think are just like little random everyday things that you have to do now that you're older, that you really don't want to, but you have to, so you don't get criticized because paying taxes and like all this other stuff that everyone has to do, that doesn't count here. Taxes and eating your crust isn't the same thing. It's like little social things that you're not going to get penalized for really, but people will penalize you in their own heads about it. So I just wanted to bring that up and, uh, do you want to hear a student. funny story about me going to buy those baby hats? I would, I would love to. Okay. So I don't really know if I think it's that funny, but I, I think it's funny. So I went to Target to get these hats for you after going to the gym. Which and, I'm glad uh, you finally found the Target over uh, in Manhattan. You, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you seemed to not know where it was a couple weeks ago. The Walmart's closer to me, but I, yeah, I was thinking that your Target would probably have some better baby stuff than Walmart. So I go over to the Target and... You know, walk in there, get a little basket. I need some other stuff for mm -hmm. around the apartment. Go to the baby section, first place I go. And as I'm walking over there, um, I'm thinking, what am I going to get? And I was going to look and try and find like a little onesie with a power cat on it or something, but they didn't have anything like yeah. that. I thought you'd like that more. Um, but 
Sorry, not the I, hats I, were good. Uh, Homegirl doesn't have any hats yet. So okay, cool. So I now find she, girl- she is being born in August. I don't know. Do, uh, babies are weird, so maybe b- babies. So have that was my other thing. I was like, oh, yeah, the babies they're... doing the babies do like early fall. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, but maybe she won't have hair. I don't know. Sometimes yeah, babies I, don't have hair. I don't know. We're gonna hope so. So I go into the baby section, and like other customers are walking around the store, and I'm obviously young, like I'm 23 mm-hmm. years old, and I just feel these people that are walking around just like staring at me and looking at me like. Like I am, I have no idea what I'm doing. And first of all, I have zero idea. Yeah, you have what no doing. idea what you're doing. Like I have zero idea what I'm doing. But everyone who's like looking at me and staring at me is probably like, "Oh my god, that kid's having a child." And like, mm-hmm. first of all, I'm not ready for that. Uh, congratulations to you and Bailey. You guys are ready for that. That's awesome. Happy for you guys. But I am not ready for that in my life. Uh, so I just thought it was kind of funny that everyone was kind of staring at me like, "Oh, he's he's having a baby." Um, that's that that's that's wild. He looks like he's young, and you know. Yeah. And, I'm happy I'm not in that point in my life right now, but congratulations to you guys for well, not only people, having a baby. I, I get why you would think that. Um, but also, like, I don't know, 20, 23, like, it it feels young, like, relative to where you are right now in your life. But, like, 23 to some people, that's no thing. Like, that's – it's like you've wasted five years of, of being able to, to uh, get after. So, I don't think people walking around probably thought it was that weird. As long as you weren't weird about it, then I, I other people probably – I, I handle my business. Thing. Yeah. So, okay. Well, you know, I think you're fine. I think you're fine there. Uh, we'll, we'll let everybody get out of here. We'll see you on Friday where we will have more about K-State, a breakdown the game with Iowa State coming up, and we'll have an idea of what the Cyclones were able to do against TCU tonight. It's a home game for Iowa State against the TCU team without Mike Miles. The Cyclones should win that one. If they don't, then Iowa State is in a, a kind of a free fall as well, similar to K-State. And uh, that means we'll have two very hungry and desperate teams on Saturday in Bramlage Coliseum. So that'll do it for Alec and I. Make sure you go get signed up if you're not already at email online at Rivals. Get all the great access to the Wildcats, such as the great five film faults that hopefully Sunday morning is five film favorites after a K-State win. Uh, There have not been enough five film favorites over the last uh, seven games for the Wildcats. So we need more of those. They just got to win it and Alec will do it. Uh, So we're out of here until Friday and we'll talk to you.